friends, I'd like to welcome you to this week's edition of Bishop Sheen Presents, a program where we feature some of the wit and the wisdom of the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. For over 50 years, Archbishop Sheen captivated audiences on both radio and television. Millions tuned in each week to hear his messages of hope and encouragement. It is my prayer that these meditations presented today will truly touch your heart and show you that your life is worth living. Hello, my dear friends, and welcome to another edition of Bishop Sheen Presents. Uh, We are in the week of November the 11th, and uh, of course, many of us celebrate um, the memory of those who uh, laid down their life during the wars of uh, our history, and of course, we pray for the repose of their souls, of all those who have uh, gone before us, marked with a sign of faith. And we also pray, of course, for our soldiers who are living. And um, again, Fulton Sheen uh, had a great love for soldiers and um, gave many radio addresses and television um, interviews about the glories of the soldier. And so I'll share a few of those with you today. And so may I invite you to sit back and relax and enjoy the wit and wisdom of the Venerable Archbishop Sheen as he speaks to the glory of the soldier. Please enjoy. Friends, we received many letters this week wanting to know what happened to that dead horse in the bathroom and how we got rid of it. Well, it was very simple to get rid of it. We just took the plug out of the bathtub. As we announced last week, our subject tonight is the glory of the soldier. And under soldier, of course, we include everyone in the Marines, the foot soldiers, those who fight in the air, sailors, everyone, men and women, who are engaged in the armed forces. Just before the show, we were giving out the second series of our telecast. You know, we do not have them written out beforehand, so we take them down after the telecast are finished. We take them down to the kinescope. And someone had noticed in the crew tonight, that the little angel is very favorable to the sailors. I just noticed tonight, if you notice that the the little angel here is wearing a sailor hat. The difference, as you see, between my angel, he loves all the armed forces, between my angel and the sailor is that the sailor, whenever he sees a schooner such as is in this picture, he drinks it, and my angel just dances when he sees one. There are all kinds of stories, as you know, told about the sailors and the Marines and the men in the Air Force. For example, I suppose the sailors have constantly been maligned by saying they have a girl in every port. Now, that is not true, because they haven't been in every port. (laughs) Many have been to Davenport. The soldier has had a great and and varied history, and the origin of the word is interesting. 
when the soldiers became mercenary and sold themselves out to the highest bidder in the 15th or 16th century, they were given their pay. And in French, it was sold. And hence the name in French became soldat, from which we derive the word soldier. There's a world of difference between the soldier, of course, of the free world, our democracy, and the soldier of the Soviet world. You're looking at my angel because he cleaned the board? <laughs> the soldier of the slave world, that is to say of the communist world, is necessarily bent on offense. Because the whole communist philosophy is dedicated to world revolution. Once you arm men of that particular type of civilization, you necessarily make them offensive soldiers. Because one thing you can't do with bayonets is sit on them. So, the communists send them conquering throughout the world. Soldiers of a democratic country are quite different. Soldiers in a democracy come into being very much like locks might come into a village. Here's a thousand homes in a village. Every man is friendly with his neighbor. There are no locks on windows, no bars on doors. Everyone is free to come and go in any house in the neighborhood. One night a thief breaks in. The next morning, a thousand locks have to be purchased. Now it happens that the steep thief in the world. That's the reason democracies have to arm. The greatest tribute that can be paid to soldiers is to recall that they are always spoken of well in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, great soldiers are praised like Joshua, David, and Gideon. In the New Testament, whenever an individual is mentioned, it's always in terms of praise. And I believe the reason is that when a civilization like the Roman began to rot, the putrefaction starts at the center, which means that off at the periphery, in the military, in the armed forces, there are still those remnants of respect for law, decency and order, which preserve civilization. And that is why the soldiers that are found in the outposts of the Roman Empire in gospel times are men to be praised. And two great characteristic notes of soldiers are found in the gospels, found throughout history. The first note of the great soldier is sympathy. And the second is a spirit of sacrifice. First of all, sympathy. One soldier does not make an army any more than one swallow makes a summer. He's committed to live in community, and so he develops the spirit of friendliness with his fellow man. And then in addition to that, he has to travel very often to other lands. And these great floods of humanitarianism, wipe away all the barriers and obstructions of race and of nation and of color and of class. And he begins to understand what Alexander the Great told his soldiers in Persia that God is the common father of all men. Soldier begins to see as he goes into other lands that all people are one and all made of one blood. This sympathy begets the humility in the soldier. When a man is alone, he can be proud of himself. When he's with others, he's much more humble. 
fly on the nose of the cameraman looks very large. In the theater, it looks small. The man is, is alone and by himself, he can be an egotist. But when he's in an army and in another world, he becomes very humble. And that explains the sympathy and the humility of these soldiers. One of them that was mentioned in the gospel, the centurion of Capernaum. See how sympathetic he was. And how sympathetic he had to be to win the reputation that he enjoyed. After all, he belonged to this great power of Rome that was sending its eagles throughout the world. He comes into a conquered people. Naturally, he was unpopular. Should have been. Or the Romans were in the land of the Jews, very much like the Soviets are in China or in Poland. And yet, he was kindly and sympathetic, and one day he came to our Lord and said that his servant was sick. The servant of that Roman soldier was probably a slave. Caesar once complained that he wept at the death of a servant. But this man is interested in the life of his servant. And he comes to our Lord and asks that the servant be healed. And the Jewish elders were struck by the sympathy and kindness of the man, went to our Lord, and they gave two arguments why he should be helped. Imagine two arguments in favor of this Roman soldier. The first was, he loves our race. How gentle he had to be to win that appellation. And secondly, he built for us a synagogue. He was humble too. Oh, so very humble. Because he said to our Lord, I do not want you to enter under my roof. You need not come to my house. I have men under me, because I am a man of authority. I say to one, go, and he goeth. Come, and he cometh. To another, do this, and he doth it. Therefore, he suggested to our Lord that merely the word of his omnipotent lip would be enough to cure the servant. And the servant was cured at that hour. The soldier was kind and sympathetic. And in these days, when those who follow the Savior reach the moment of most intimate union with him, there wells up at the moment of communion on the lips of a devout Christian, the words of a soldier. Lord, I am not worthy. This sympathy we find in our American soldiers throughout the world. We know what they are doing in mission lands, for example. The aid they are giving to our leprosaria, to our hospitals, to our homes for the aged. How they are helping the orphans and the refugees throughout the world. Not only our own soldiers. Let me tell you this story about a communist soldier. One of our missionary sisters was telling me just the other day when she was in prison in China for a couple of years, she contracted malaria. The communists refused to give her any water. Her throat was like a blazing fire. She said to the communist soldier nearby, I'm dying. He said, good. We will not have to feed you. All we have to do is bury you. 
He said, give me some tea. He was making a pot of tea in the prison. The communist soldier said, why should I give you tea? For you are an enemy. And then his mouth became a crater of hate and a volcano of blasphemy. And as he cursed her and accused her of being a spy and an agent of an imperialist power, amidst all of his cursing and blasphemies, he moved over to this dying sister and poured some tea into her tin cup. Reported to the party and demoted. The point that I want to bring out is that the natural sympathy of a soldier overcame the hardness even of communist philosophy and he broke the bonds of all dialectical materialism to prove that a soldier is a man of sympathy and love. Then humility. Would you like to see a letter I got from a soldier the other day that indicates humility? He passed me by on the street. Failed to see me, and he wrote this letter. The soldier says, Dear Bishop Sheen, last evening at the Alfred Smith dinner, I was told that while I was passing through the streets of New York yesterday, you stopped at a street corner to greet me. I regret I failed to see you, but I do assure you that I am more than complimented by your friendly thoughtfulness. I would have valued the opportunity to have stopped my car, however briefly, to chat for a moment with personal regard. Would you like to know the name of the soldier? Dwight D. Eisenhower. to the president and I said, in America when the president passes a friend on the street and through no fault of his own fails to recognize him, he sends a letter of greeting. That is democracy. In Russia when the dictator passes a friend on the street without recognizing him, that means he's marked for liquidation. That is communism. The second quality of the soldier is sacrifice. Sacrifice in times of peace, because he has to leave his home, his loved ones. Because he has to go through the long routine of preparation. And in addition to that, when there was no excitement for battle, no spur to action, he still has to go through the indelicacies of barracks life. And then in time of war, the soldier is a man of sacrifice because on the battlefield he does not live for himself. He does not die for himself. He lives and he dies for others. His life is characterized by a beautiful vicariousness. Surrender of self for others. We find this in a great soldier too that is mentioned in the gospel. Here's a, a centurion. He had charge of a hundred soldiers. To run sixtieth of a Roman legion. The Roman legion amounting to six thousand men. He was sent out this particular day to execute a batch of criminals. He had done it a hundred times before. It was the old Roman method of putting men to death. He knew all about it. He went through with it, was struck a bit for the fact that 
One who was crucified as soon as the nails hit his hands said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Then he noticed, too, that death did not seem to come to him, that he went out to meet it. And he died, speaking in a loud voice, as if he were giving up his own life, which he did, saying, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The change came over that particular soldier. He was seeing now not the circumstances of death. As men are generally interested today in the circumstances of death as they follow murder mysteries and read detective stories. But this soldier became for the moment tremendously interested in the significance of death and all that it implied. He began to see that here was someone who was giving his life for another. And then this soldier made a public affirmation of his faith. He said, indeed, this was the Son of God. He was the first to say, there are no atheists in the Oxford. And the spirit of sacrifice has passed over into the lives of our soldiers. We know hundred stories we could tell you of men who risked their own lives and some even have died just to save the one that they call a buddy. And you remember Joyce Kilmer, one of the great soldiers of World War I, how he translated everything that happened to him in war into the scene which this Roman soldier saw on the hill of Calvary. He would first of all complain about his army life, and then he would think of that great soldier, his vicarious death, who gave himself for the world. He said, My shoulders ache beneath my pack. Lies your cross upon his back. I march with feet that burn and smart. Red holy feet upon my heart. I dare not lift a hand to clear my eyes of salty tears that sear. And shall my fickle soul forget my agony of bloody sweat? My rifle hand is sick and numb. From thy pierced palm Red rivers come. Lord, thou hast suffered more for me than all the hosts of land and sea. Then let me render back again the millions of thy gift. Amen.
poem of a soldier sacrificed himself for his country. Why not then recognize their great value? We wonder, why is it that in times of war we praise the sacrifice, the self-forgetfulness, the self-abnegation and the fearlessness of our soldiers on the battlefield and then in time of peace call such sacrifice and such discipline womanly virtues. Why do we do it? Why is it that in times of war we commend the soldier for obedience to his orders, for his oath of fealty, for the fulfillment of his missions, for obedience to all of his commissions. And then in time of peace, have little respect for the same obedience. We'll not put it into our schools and into our homes and into our national life with the result that we pay the terrible penalty of juvenile delinquency. Why is it that in time of war we tell our soldiers that they must be ready if need be to give their lives for the preservation of the liberty of our country and then in time of peace, we say it is asking too much of any man to give an answer to the question, are you a loyal American? Are you a communist? There are no fifth amendments on battlefields behind which our soldiers may protect their lives. Shall we therefore be ashamed in peace of what we are so proud in war? Rather let us put on the breastplate of justice, the shield of faith, carrying the sword of the Spirit, marching with courage under the great God who is the Lord of hosts and under the protection of a woman who is as invincible as an army drawn up in battle array, then we shall preserve our country, our traditions, our soldiers, and our America. You are listening to FM 98.5 CKWR, Canada's first community radio station. We now return to Bishop Sheen Presents. Well, my dear Radio Maria family, I hope you enjoyed that reflection from Archbishop Sheen's years on television. Uh, That is from one of his Life is Worth Living shows. And, uh, of course, he gave many retreats and lectures about soldiers. And uh, I'm going to share with you now a reflection he gave at uh, West Point. And, of course, to uh, the graduating class and uh, those that present Uh, to that great event. And so I may invite you now to enjoy the wit and wisdom of Archbishop Sheen as he speaks 
uh, and gives a reflection on to the American soldiers, the centurions of Rome. Please enjoy. General Berry and General Homer, faculty and members of the staff, graduates and all friends. As an American, I love West Point. I love it because you are one of the last bastions of order and discipline in the United States. Have you ever noticed that in the decay of civilizations, and 19 out of 22 recorded civilizations have decayed from within from the beginning of history, that the last thing to ever decay was the military. They stood when everything else fell. Now I could illustrate this in many ways, but I'm going to do it from the scriptures, particularly the New Testament. If you read through the New Testament, you cannot find except one instance of any profession or group that comes clean throughout only one. Priests certainly did not. 25% of the priesthood slept in the garden. 8% betrayed. Lawyers do not come off very well in scripture either. One lawyer refused, for example, out of bigotry to even pronounce the word Samaritan. Accountants and commercial men did not come out very well, where we find them changing the books. Doctors, well, there's one record of a woman having spent all of her money on physicians and was not better but worse. But incidentally, you will not find that in the Gospel of Luke because Luke was a doctor. <laughs> Wasn't it cute of him to leave that out? You'll find it in the other evangelists. He was not going to allow anyone to say a word against physicians. Well, what is the one group that is universally praised in the New Testament. The only one, officers of the military. Now that's extraordinary. Now for the last week in preparation for coming here, I've been making a study of the West Point graduates in the New Testament. And 
they were called centurions. The soldiers do not come off well. Soldiers so often proved a brutal lot, but the officers who attended special schools in Rome and held a rank were called centurions. Now, in order to understand this in the Roman army, the Roman army had legions. A legion consisted of 6,000 men. A legion was then divided into 60 centuries. And a centurion, an officer, would have charge of at least a hundred or several groups of a hundred. The centurions not only are praised in the New Testament, but they are the, about the only group that is ever named. We have four or five of these West Point graduates of Rome who are named. Now I'm going to tell you the story of some of them in order that you may know what scripture expects of you centurions. Now the first centurion that appears in the gospel was at Capernaum. And there are two good things said about him. Now in order to get the picture, remember this, that the Roman officers were in a conquered country. They were in in Judea and they were in Galilee in just the same way, for example, that Russian soldiers are in Czechoslovakia. The people despise them more than the Soviet officers would be despised by any occupied country in Eastern Europe. But this Roman officer who commanded soldiers in that particular town, first of all, built a synagogue for the Jews. Now that's unusual for a Roman officer to build a synagogue. Secondly, he was so well esteemed that some of the Jewish officials went to our blessed Lord to ask a favor for this officer. And our blessed Lord went to the, this centurion and the centurion says, I have a son who's very ill. And he's about to die. But the centurion said, I do not ask you to come. Now here comes the military. Here's the officer coming out in him. He said to our Lord, I have men under me. And in my command, I say, go, and he goes. I say, come, and he comes. So he said to our Lord, you say to the fever of my sick son, go, and it will go. But you need not come to my house. What wonderful faith on the part of this Roman officer. And our blessed Lord said, I have not seen such faith in all Israel. Not even among my own people have I seen such faith. And he said to the centurion, go home. And on the way, one of the servants came and told the Roman officer, your son is cured. Now, this centurion is the first one that appears in Scripture. And I suppose he becomes a model to all army officers in occupied countries and among alien people 
to love those people. And while you're loving them, even to ask the good Lord for favors that may be needed in the family. That's the first centurion. The second centurion was at the crucifixion. The soldiers executed the crucifixion of our blessed Lord. And seeing how weak he was, they forced a, an outsider who just simply came to view the spectacle of a man going to death. They forced Simon of Cyrene. Cyrene is in northern Africa. I wonder if he was a black man. At any rate, a soldier laid the hand on this Simon and told him to carry the cross of our Lord. Our blessed Lord is crucified between two thieves. Now, according to the Jewish law, and only the Romans could crucify, the Jews could never crucify. That was why a Roman court had to condemn our Lord. The Jews stoned to death, the Romans crucified, but never their own. A condemned and dead person was not allowed to stay on a cross beyond sundown. An investigation by the soldiers proved that two of the who were crucified with our Lord, the two revolutionists, they were not just thieves. The Greek word suggests much more than that. They were revolutionists against Roman authority. They were still alive. A sundown approached, and so the soldiers broke their legs. Our Lord had already given up the spirit with a loud voice, says scripture. Because, as he said, no one takes my life away from me. I lay it down of myself. But after he was dead, one of these centurions, probably the only one on the hill of Calvary, takes a lance and runs it into the side of our blessed Lord. Blood and water comes out. Blood, the price of redemption. Water, the symbol of our sanctification. We do not know the name of that officer. But tradition has given him a name. Tradition has given him the name Longinus. Told us that he was partly blind and as the blood of our Lord trickled down his spear, he was cured. But... What is interesting is that this centurion who was raised among pagan gods and who had the dirty business of leading a couple hundred soldiers up the hill of Calvary in order to crucify what he thought was a common criminal, when he ran that spear into our blessed Lord, he made one great profession of faith, this pagan. He says, indeed, this is the Son of God. He could have found an easier way to get to the heart of Christ. But he made a profession of faith as great as that of St. Peter and as great as Thomas. And in the epistle 
to the Hebrews in the New Testament. The flesh of our blessed Lord corresponded to the temple of Jerusalem, the veil in the temple of Jerusalem. And as the veil was opened every year on the Day of Atonement for the high priest to go in, at the moment that that veil was opened for the high priest, this centurion had pierced the heart of Christ. And scripture says, and he rent the veil of his flesh and opened the Holy of Holies. Think of it. That Roman officer opened the Holy of Holies and all the devotion that we have in the world of the Sacred Heart is due to a converted Roman centurion, one of the graduates of the Imperial School of Rome. You have his picture in the first window of the right of your chapel. Or no, not, not that one, no. I don't know whether you have his painting there or not. It's another one that I will come to in a moment. But in any case, here is one of your fellow officers in heaven who revealed the heart of Christ to whom you can always have devotion and intercession. Now we come to a third centurion. This third centurion was at Caesarea. That was one of the strongholds for the Roman army. His name is given. His name is Cornelius. He is the one I was thinking about. The first window on the right of your chapel is dedicated to this Cornelius. He belonged to the Augustan cohort, says Scripture. See how Scripture not only traces out the lives of these centurions, but in two instances mentions the army to which they belonged. He belonged to the Augustan cohort, and another one whom I will mention in a moment belonged to the Italian cohort. There were two of the cohorts that were associated very closely to Caesar. This Cornelius, a Roman, had distributed alms to the poor. Here again is an unusual example of a Roman soldier being good to the enemies. Isn't it interesting, too, that the two defeated countries in World War II are the ones who emerged the most victorious and economically the most prosperous, Japan and West Germany. We acted like centurions. So Cornelius helped the poor, and he was on the roof of his house in early afternoon in prayer. He evidently was following the Jewish hours of prayer, though he was a Gentile. And he receives a message to send to Jaffa. Jaffa was about 30 miles away from Caesarea. Send to Jaffa for someone who was living in the house of Simon the Tanner. Now the people who skinned animals and treated their skins always had to live on the outside of the city on account of the smell. And here was the first pontiff, first pope of all, St. Peter, living in this ill-smelling house of Simon the Tanner. And the Spirit says to Cornelius, you send some men to Jaffa, to the house of Simon the Tanner, and there you'll find Simon. 
called Peter and asked him to come to see you. Peter remembers a Jew. Peter only ate kosher food. There were still, there were still no Gentiles in the church. The church was Jewish. And Peter receives a vision about kosher foods and is told that everything that God made is clean and that he can eat it and then tells him to visit the house of Cornelius. Peter, this fisherman, going to visit this famous Cornelius who was head of the, of the garrison of Caesarea, furthermore a Gentile. And Simon Peter goes to the house of this centurion stays with him and instructs Cornelius. And Cornelius becomes the first non-Jew in the Catholic Church. Think of it. What an honor for soldiers. out of all of the people in the world that the Lord might have chosen to be the first ever to be received into the church and to be the beginning of the conversion of the Gentiles, the first one that he chose was not a philosopher, not a doctor, it was not a lawyer, it was not just a common person. It was a military officer. Graduate of West Point, if you will but one that belonged to your tradition. That's the kind of core to which you belong. And then another centurion is mentioned. In fact, there are two and their names are given. One is Claudius Lysaeus, and the other is Julius. You see, when our blessed Lord tells the story of the rich man and the poor beggar at the door, he never mentions the name of the rich man. We call him Dives because Dives in Latin means rich. We don't know his name. The Lord gave the name of the poor man, Lazarus. But the officers, they were named by the Holy Spirit. Now this centurion is involved with St. Paul. Now recall the background of St. Paul. St. Paul was one of the most learned of the Jews, a student of Gamaliel. He had persecuted the church as no one in history has ever persecuted the church. He becomes a convert. When the risen Lord from heaven speaks and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? The answer came back, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Striking the church, he was striking him. So Saul, his Latin name was Paul, became a convert. Twenty years later, he returns back to Jerusalem. The last time he left Jerusalem was on a mission of persecution. He's seen on the streets with a man from Ephesus, therefore a Gentile. Short time later, Paul goes into the temple. There begins to be a commotion about him. Everyone recognizes him as the one who used to be the student of Gamaliel. Now is preaching Christ. 
And so they began accusing him of bringing a Gentile into the temple. Paul had not brought a Gentile into the temple. He had merely been seen on the streets with one. And they shouted and shrieked. And they picked up dust and threw it in the air and they rent their garments. And finally there was such a disturbance in the temple that the Roman authorities intervened. Julius, or no, rather Claudius, comes to the temple and rescues Paul from the rioting and takes him to the fortress of Antonio. He's very much impressed with his learning. And when the temple priests come to accuse Paul, Paul addresses them, and again they cause a riot. And so the centurion takes Paul back again into the safety of the fortress of Antonio. In the meantime, Paul's nephew comes and tells the Roman officer that the Jewish people are about to seize the fortress of Antonio and to kill Paul. What does the Roman centurion do? He organizes 200 horsemen, 70 spearmen, and 70 other men of arms, gives Paul a horse, and they ride Paul to Caesarea under the protection, imagine, of the Roman government. When Paul is brought, brought to Caesarea, a delegation comes from Jerusalem to accuse Paul. The judge on the throne was adjudicating the case said, well, I will scourge him. And as the scourge is about to be laid to the neck of Paul, Paul says, Chivas Romanus sum, I am a Roman. And he was. He belonged to the city of Tarsus. You're not allowed to scourge a Roman citizen. The centurion says, you are a Roman. He was speaking Greek to the Roman officer because Latin was not yet then the common language. They were still speaking Greek under the influence of the Grecian conquest centuries before. And the centurion then said to Paul, what is your wish? Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. In other words, I will not be judged by any of these domestic courts. And the Roman officer said, very well, to Caesar you will go. He's put in the hands of Julius. Again, the centurion is named. And they take a boat for Rome. Paul says to Julius, there's a storm brewing and I would not advise you to leave this port. They left the port. They were shipwrecked at Malta. The centurion then said to Paul that he had made a mistake. He should have followed his advice. But Paul told them during the storm that not a single one of them would be lost and not a single one of them was lost in that terrible storm. Finally, Paul comes to Rome and he's put in the Mamertine prison. Again, under a Roman officer. And the Roman officer, though he was a prisoner now, 
had such respect for Paul that he allowed him to receive visitors and for two years to leave the prison and go out and preach. And the story of the early church ends with that lesson of the Roman officer allowing Paul to preach the gospel. I tell you, my dear graduates, that this is your glory, regardless of what anyone may say. This is what the Lord thinks of you. This is what the Holy Spirit thinks of you. Your name personally. You belong to a special group. You're the guardians of civilization. You're the guardians of religion morality. That is your mission. And despite all of the national and international difficulties, loyalties, divisions, one thing to be remembered is that there is someone above us, the supreme commander. Though we may boast as that officer of Capernaum, I have men under me, they do what I tell them. Nevertheless, centuries before, when Joshua was leading the Israelites into the promised land, they had just crossed the Jordan. And as he was beginning to lead this army of hundreds of thousands across the waters, he sees someone on the other side. with a sword. Now this was important for Joshua, the general of the Israelites, about to meet the enemies who were then occupying what would be the promised land. And Joshua says to this man with a sword, Who are you? Are you with us? Or are you against us? That was a normal question for a general to ask. And this voice on the other side, for it was a theophanic appearance of Christ long before he came to this earth. He said, I am the Lord of hosts, the King of kings, the leader of the heavenly armies. And great though you are in our army, in our nation, great though you are in your tradition, great though you be also in carrying on the beautiful spirit of the centurions of Rome as officers of the imperial army, Nevertheless, above all generals, above all leadership, there stands one who divides right from wrong. Who are you? I am the Lord of the heavenly hosts. He is your captain, and one day you and each and every one of us will go before him to report. I, sir, your orders.
May you be found on the right. God love you. You are listening to FM 98.5 CKWR, Canada's first community radio station. We now return to Bishop Sheen Presents. Well, my dear Radio Maria family, I want to thank you for joining me for this week's edition of Bishop Sheen Presents. And uh, again, I think many of us are grateful for uh, the soldiers who uh, protect and serve our country. Uh, We need to keep praying for our soldiers. And of course, uh, remember to uh, pay tribute to the soldiers who have gone before us. And again, we are blessed to have the wisdom of Fulton Sheen uh, just, of course, enlighten us. And um, I'd like to say, you know, um, he just does it right. (laughs) That's all I can really say. I think Fulton Sheen does it right uh, week in and week out. And so, again, these tributes to the soldiers that he gave are absolutely uh, great presentations. So please share them with your friends and uh, those who you know are serving in the service. All right. Um, lots on my mind today. I've, of course, uh, Remembrance Day is a very um, celebrated in my home. Uh, my dad served in World War II in the Navy uh, for four years and um, again shared a few stories with us um, as we grew up. And uh, again, the struggles that so many people went through, not just uh, those in the military, but the families at home, those who were uh, very much involved in the war effort. So uh, there is a lot there. And uh, But uh, again, the importance of our faith and uh, trusting in God and uh, being on God's side. Uh, these are all things that Fulton Sheen has been reminding us as we listen to his talks during the war years. I want to invite you, as I always do, to uh, visit our humble little website. Uh, it's simply titled bishopsheentoday.com, and um, there you can watch for hours and hours um, Fulton Sheen videos and, uh, of course, download a number of audio recordings and uh, take his talks with you wherever you go. And, of course, there's a great selection of books if you'd like to build your own personal library. So, again, it's all there at bishopsheentoday.com, and uh, we are grateful to everyone who has uh, visited the site. Uh, Our uh, webmaster says that over a million people a year visit the site, and so uh, it's busy. There's a lot of people who love Fulton Sheen, and so I invite you to join our little party, I guess. And um, again, what I love is it's absolutely free. So uh, <laughs> who doesn't like a free website? That's for sure. All right. I invite you to stay around for Bishop Robert Barron. And uh, we will follow that up by our good friend, Pat Murphy from Joyful Country, as he will uh, share with us some uh, great music. And of course, we'll be opening his Bible and sharing the word of God with us. I'll be back at 9 o'clock to pray the Holy Rosary and the Chaplet of Divine Mercy with you all. And so, uh, until that time, may the good Lord continue to bless you and keep you. May the Lord let His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. God love you. Mm -hmm.